When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation around themes in the worlds of business, finance, and economics. I'm Stan Pinell, the banking editor, and in today's episode, we'll talk about the tumbling commodities market, its impact on global inflation, and the U.S. finally easing its ban on crude oil exports. With us to discuss all this are Henry Trix, our new energy editor, and Ryan Avent, our news editor. Henry, uh, let's start with you. The price of commodities has tumbled. Everything from oil to steel, precious metals, but also various agricultural products is down, sometimes precipitously. What's going on here? Why are commodities down and what's the impact? So if you look at a line of commodity prices going right back to the 1970s, it sort of flatlines until about the year 2000 or so. And then you get this massive move up. And Right now, what we're seeing is the other side of that slag heap. The prices have really fallen down. They've basically come down to about the level that they were in 2008, 2009. But we haven't gone back down to the levels that they were right the way through the 70s to the 2000s. So the reason for this seems to be oversupply rather than, at this point, lack of demand. There should have been a response by producers, and we're talking about the oil markets here, we're talking about the iron ore markets, the coal markets. There should have been a response to rein back on production. But curiously, that hasn't happened. Meanwhile, this is really good news for consumers, I presume, and people will have a bit more money left over after they've they've filled up their, their petrol tanks. It's bad news for the the producers, whether they be the, the countries that, that have the oil or the aluminium or whatever, uh, or, or the companies that extract it. Yeah, I mean, there are countries that are in uh, really dire straits as a result of especially the decline in the oil price. And, uh, and we can see that in some of the producers in the Middle East, like Bahrain, and also Venezuela is in a very, very tricky situation. And the same is true for Nigeria. So those producer countries in the oil markets are facing a lot of problems. With regards to the companies, Chinese steel companies should be going bankrupt left, right and centre if they weren't being propped up by the government. And the same is true elsewhere. Can I jump in here? Ryan, yes. Uh, the, the question, I think, is going to be whether the drops in commodity prices push those central banks in Britain and America and elsewhere to delay rate increases. Um, we've just gotten a shock high figure uh, on inflation in the UK today, which came in at 0.1% over the past year. So I think um, that, you know, the target for the Bank of England is 2%. It would have fallen more had not we had the kind of leveling off of oil prices earlier this year, which I think we would expect to see more declines based on what Henry's been saying. So I think we're kind of stuck in this this stasis where rich world central banks would very much like to, to raise interest rates because labor markets have been improving. But you have these really significant deflationary pressures coming out of commodity markets, uh, which are then squeezing emerging markets and adding to kind of economic pressures there. And uh, I'm not sure they're, they're going to be able to lift rates as, as they'd like to. Ryan, I mean, one of, the, one of the interesting things is that that's also having a big effect 
in the mining companies and in the oil producing companies. So the costs are coming down really fast, which also makes it easier to carry on producing when you shouldn't be. That's a very interesting point. And I mean, if you look at a, an economy like America, which always used to be overwhelmingly an oil importer, the kind of fracking revolution there has changed the balance a bit of where it used to be clear that declines in oil prices were good for the American economy, that they boosted consumers and, and didn't really hurt anyone else. Now you have this kind of large sector of the economy that, that does benefit from rising oil prices. And they've been able to sort of survive, as you say, by squeezing costs out of the system. But that also, I think, probably means that it's not generating the same employment gains in fracking that, that we saw in 2014. So I think the U.S. economy is not getting the tailwind from reduced oil prices that it would have five years ago. Yeah, certainly if you're in North Dakota or in, in Corpus Christi, Texas, a low oil price is really bad news for you. But Henry, I wanted to come back to one thing you mentioned before, which is the frackers, instead of, of pulling back, are just becoming more efficient. I mean, how much of that is a short order thing because, you know, their shovels were nearly in the ground and therefore you might as well just keep going? And how much of this is sustainable? I mean, is there really a sustainable fracking industry at 40 or $50 a barrel? We don't really know. Um, what has been surprising, I guess, is that even at $60 a barrel, people were thinking that they would start pulling back and moving those shovels out. They didn't. We've had another lurch downward now. So people are really looking at the numbers on the amount of drill rigs that there are and whatever to see whether this will now have a meaningful impact in terms of you know, reducing the amount of, the amount of drilling. Ron, you already uh, alluded to our second uh, topic, which is around inflation and, and the deflationary impact of, of cheaper commodities. What are the other uh, impacts on rich country economies? I mean, presumably this is, as it is good news for consumers, that should increase consumer spending on, on stuff which isn't commodities. It should do, but we've kind of been waiting to see this effect, and, and it's it's been a long time coming. I mean, oil prices have been falling now for, for the past year uh, or more, really, I suppose. And, you know, I remember last summer, uh, when when the price of crude was tumbling, everyone was saying, well, now the American consumer is going to rush out. They're going to buy some massive SUVs. Retail sales are going to explode and the economy is really going to turn around. You know, if we look at kind of the composition of growth in, in the U.S. now, it's definitely moved toward consumer spending. But it's nothing like the, the boost that I think people anticipated we, we'd get from this kind of decline in the oil price. And we've seen the same thing in the Eurozone. I mean, the Eurozone has had a kind of Greek crisis apart. It's had a lot of tailwinds um, of which cheaper commodities have been won. And yet it's, you know, it's struggling to eke out positive growth. So that I think we can be thankful that consumers have had as easy a time of things as they had. If they hadn't, probably the rich world economic picture would look much more grim. And meanwhile, in emerging markets, they would also presumably benefit from the fall in the price of oil. But seeing as oil is denominated in dollar and their own domestic currencies are worth much less, then that is offset to some extent. Yeah, you get a few different forces pulling in different directions there. I mean, some economies like India, for instance, benefit uh, enormously from cheaper commodity prices. Others like Nigeria or Brazil are, are kind of looking at the, the fall in commodity prices and, and, and really wringing their hands. But uh, as you say, the currency picture is really important here. And almost all emerging markets have struggled currency-wise, based in part on what commodity markets are doing, but also because of the outlook for interest rate increases. So the Indian rupee has been under pressure, as have the Indonesian currency, as has the ringgit. Basically, right across the board, we've seen currency declines. And so that that's good for exporters, but it squeezes these, these economies that have been borrowing in dollars that need to pay bills in dollars. Nowhere are we looking at a purely positive picture from the decline in commodities. And the uh, just to butt in here, the devaluation of the yuan last week also seems to have exacerbated some emerging market fear, especially amongst commodity 
producers because they feel that a cheaper Chinese currency is going to enable the Chinese to export yet more steel and uh, you know further pressure global prices. So, so I guess this is just another one of many factors weighing on emerging markets. Let's turn to our third topic, which is not completely uh, unrelated. On Friday, the Obama administration eased a 40-year-old ban on exporting crude oil. Uh, We've railed against this ban, which is economically completely unsound. Henry, do we have a sense of of, of why it happened? And can you tell us a bit more about what happened? What the the Obama administration did was it allowed Mexico to swap some heavy crude for light crude from the US. Now, the US is basically awash with light crude. And there's been pressure mounting for a while now on the Obama administration, on the US in general, to allow the export of this stuff. The export ban came in in the 1970s when there was a question of energy security in the US. But because of the fracking revolution and whatever, uh, there is abundant oil now in the US. And Mexico really wanted to, has been seeking to take advantage of that because it has a lot of heavy oil, whereas there's a surfeit of light oil in the US, which Mexico wants. So it makes sense on a very practical level, and it raises Mexico to a level that Canada has been on. So in a sense, what you've got now, I guess, is more the creation of a a North American or the start of the creation of a North American energy market, which is is good news. But um, it's still kind of unforgivable that the US doesn't allow exports of oil more generally. There's certainly huge demand that's likely to come from Asia for American crude. Only recently did America begin to license natural gas exports to Asia, which is a good sign. But really, what you have here is a system of protectionism for the US oil refiners and the US gasoline markets, basically. And that's got to end. Yeah. There were others who were benefiting petrochemicals from, for example. I was in Germany not so long ago speaking to industrial groups there. where They're saying, you know, we cannot compete in energy-intensive industries. Uh, because energy in the U.S. is so cheap because of this export ban that, that, that we can't compete when we're paying market prices. So presumably, Ryan, they're going to be, again, they're going to be winners and losers out of uh, the end of this ban. There always are. But I, I think probably the set of winners has been growing, as, as I understand it, uh, for a few reasons. One, I think that, and, and Henry, correct me if I'm wrong, but the refiners who produce the petrol for American markets tend to use more expensive oil that they, they tend to ship in from, from Europe and elsewhere. So any move to export American oil that lowers the world price is going to benefit petrol consumers. At the same time, it would raise the price that the the producers of crude itself in America can get. So if you have petrol users, drivers in America, and oil producers both benefiting, that's probably going to drown out kind of the petrochemical firms and others who who might wish to, to benefit from the price of cheap domestic U.S. energy. But I have a question for Henry, which is that does, does the U.S. have the infrastructure in place to export oil in scale? Because my sense was that they'd always been focused on bringing as much uh, crude in from the outside world as possible because they'd been net importers for such a long time. They can change their facilities relatively quickly. I mean, we saw in natural gas that there have been facilities that were created to export natural gas that then become importers of natural gas that then become LNG plants that then, you know, they they move very quickly. Um, 
I can't tell you for sure whether there are really the facilities in place right now to ex- export crude from the U.S., but the markets are aware. Congress is debating lifting of this export ban. There must be moves afoot to be able to react very quickly when, when this is approved. And there's a huge amount of money out there to, to finance this sort of infrastructure at what remain exceptionally low rates. Henry, thanks very much. Ryan, uh, thanks to you as well. That's all we have time for this week. There's going to be lots more from Henry and other writers on commodities in the upcoming issue of The Economist. Meanwhile, you can check out our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.